Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Hensel. In today's episode, we are deep diving into the fintech scene in the United Arab Emirates. The Middle East is home to a number of exciting fintech companies, and the UAE has rapidly established itself as a leading hub for fintech startups in the region. The UAE ecosystem has continued to grow and mature on the back of rising adoption of digital payments, booming e-commerce, and a growing digital banking landscape. So today, we're talking about how things look in 2022, what challenges there are to overcome, and what's next for one of the region's hottest fintech ecosystems. So let's get started. As always, I'm not alone, but I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed lots of light on all things UAE fintech. So first of all, I am joined by my 11FS colleague, Tristan Brandt. Welcome back, Tristan. Can you give our audience a brief overview of your role at 11FS and your experience in the UAE? Thanks, Benjamin. So I am responsible for 11FS ventures across the Middle East and North Africa. What that means is that uh, I help our clients uh, who are predominantly banks, but also fintechs and uh, technology uh, organizations in the financial space to help launch new ventures and to move beyond digitization to do things that we describe as truly digital. And that ultimately what we are here to do, we've had a number of clients approach us because they want a fresh perspective. They've been working with a number of well-established consultancies and competitors of ours that, that don't necessarily have the same insight into what is really leading edge um, and changing in the market. So that's that's what we do most. And then making their FinTech Insider debut, we are joined by Myrna Sleeman, co-founder of FinTech Galaxy. Thank you so much for being here, Myrna. Can you give our listeners some insight into FinTech Galaxy? Hello, everyone. My name is Myrna Sleeman. I'm the founder and CEO of FinTech Galaxy. Thank you for having uh, me uh, with you on the show. Fintech Galaxy is a UAE um, a company. We're born out of the United Arab Emirates as a fintech on a mission to reimagine financial services with an open banking platform. We provide a seamless integration between financial institutions and the fintech, and we aim to um, boost financial inclusion and basically change the way we do uh, financial services through innovation, um, account aggregation, payment initiation and other, you know, the usual use cases for retail and uh, corporate customers. Fantastic. So providing some some crucial infrastructure. And then also making a FinTech Insider debut, we have Olivier Crispin, co-founder and CEO of Zand. Thank you so much for joining us, Olivier. What can you tell our audience about Zand? Thank you, Benjamin. It's really a pleasure to be here today. So Zand is a digital bank that is going to start uh, imminently in UAE. So we are fully ready to, to start. Uh, we have built a full uh, value proposition on a retail side, so for retail customer, but also for corporate customers. So we got uh, approval from a central bank. So it's going to be licensed and, and a central bank. And we are on a final administrative task uh, before being able to, to roll. Very, very Fantastic. Soon. Fantastic. Exciting stuff. And then last but not least, another FinTech Insider debut for Amberine Musa. CEO of Sukarmal. Welcome, Amberine. Please, can you give us the elevator pitch? Yeah, thank you for having me, first of all. I'm very excited to be here and, and speaking to so many of you. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Sukarmal, which is an eight, nine-year-old business. We were actually the first fintech company in the region ever set up. At the time, there was not much of a fintech. I don't even 
think it existed really regulations found around. So we started by being the, the financial services aggregator based on banking products, so credit cards, mortgages and loans, and we moved into insurance. And recently we actually moved into very much financial education, which has been a core vision and mission and, and passion since day one. And now we're basically getting even further into financial inclusion and financial education as such. Fantastic. Welcome. Well, it's really great to have all of you here. So let's dive in. What I'd love to do is let's start by looking at the sort of UAE fintech ecosystem as a whole. And what I'm going to ask each of you to do is to sort of sum up the market in in a handful of words, so three or four words that you think really sort of epitomize what what it's what it's all about, um, what some of the maybe the big trenders or a couple of the big players. So I'm going to go around and I'd like each of you to come up with three or four words that really epitomize what's going on. Um, I'm going to go to you, Tristan, because I'll start with my colleague on the hardest question. <laughs> so I'd say the UAE is reasonably advanced, ambitious, and yet to be proven. Advanced, ambitious, unproven. Excellent. Amberine, how about you? Um, it, it's, an, it's an interesting question. I think there's an absolute opportunity, but I think the opportunity is not just in the UAE. If you want any, if you want to set up any fintech company, it's really at the region. So I think there is regional coordination, vibrant, and very capital intensive. Capital intensive and vibrant. These are, these are great words. <laughs> and a great market. Myrna, how about you? The market is very global. You don't feel that it's um, it's uh, very particular to the country itself. It's like a melting pot of cultures and experiences. Very revo revolutionary. So uh, just like Ambreen, I mean, we all know her. And yeah, whenever there's something new in the market, it starts from the UAE. And uh, a very happy ecosystem. It's an amazing lifestyle. And finally, Olivier. Yes, so I'm the last to I may take back some of the words that have been given uh, from the previous one. But uh, I think, uh, same as uh, Tristan, right, ambitious. I think when you look at the agenda of UAE, right, the, the country in terms of digitalization is very ambitious, is evolving uh, as, we, as we speak right now, and is uh, inevitable, right? So it's coming, uh, and it's something that is going to be really... Uh, uh, they need it uh, to support the UAE economy, I would say. So, Tristan, there are a load of really, really interesting perspectives there. How important is that that sort of melting pot of, of cultures, the way that sort of people have come from all around the world and maybe the Dubai in particular being a bit of a crossroads? And how important is the sort of government sort of intentional um, encouragement of, of fintech in sort of driving the market? What? How important is go the government's role versus... Dubai just being a sort of crossroad, an international crossroads. I guess um, for those who get to know the region, um, what you realise is that these uh, the countries across the GCC uh, are very much driven by government vision and having uh, a long-term view, uh, which is absolutely fundamental to setting up the right um, pathway to uh, be able to change and to foster innovation. So I think definitely, first and foremost, it starts with the, the mindset and where the government um, provides the right level of regulatory support and guidelines also for us. And, and then I think as a consequence of that, um, what you've got is it's become a magnet and it's enabled um, different talents to see both that they can come and contribute, 
but also that the as Amberine was uh, suggesting, there is a scale of opportunity, um, and that's really uh, a kind of the environment is well set up. I, I loved Murno's comment about a, a happy ecosystem. Uh, I think it, I think it's probably a happy ecosystem because it's still flourishing. There will be some unhappy people when we have a natural consolidation, but yeah, it's a combination of a, a very proactive and supportive regulatory regime. And, and at this point in time, obviously, there is uh, a very uh, confident level of investment taking place in fintech because of what's happening globally. So, so I'd say those three things are coming together, the right setup, people wanting to come here for multiple reasons, and uh, the financial uh, backing going behind things. So, Myrna, you made an interesting point about the market not necessarily being local, about it being sort of regional and, and some of the focus being on uh, uh, other markets. To what extent is the sort of fintech in the UAE really benefiting the people of the UAE? Um, is, is it all about capturing opportunities in the wider region? Or is there a lot of work going into improving the lives of the people who live in the UAE? Well, if you've been living in the UAE for a long time and you've seen the changes happening over the past two decades, you would know that the UAE is never about the UAE. Uh, every initiative that they take, every um, event that they host, every regulation they bring to the market is all about the region and the two billion people around. It's about the Arab world. It's about even East and West, the corridor that they have created between Africa and Asia. So um, when we when we look at the United Arab Emirates uh, and look at our teams and look at our advisors and our clients, you rarely find one nationality that is actually prevailing. Um, the regulations they've put in place in terms of um, free zones, uh, in terms of empowerment, in terms of talent acquisition. It's all about attracting international uh, people and international businesses into the UAE and serving the globe from the UAE. It's less about the UAE itself and more about uh, the region. Maybe Olivier has a different perspective because you're, you're a bank in the UAE. But still, I mean, having said that, the banks here need a lot of work. The, the market still is very um, is in, in its infancy, especially the fintech uh, space and all the, you know, the open banking, open finance where we operate. Olivier, do you, do you agree with that? No, I agree definitely uh, that is uh, UAE, obviously, but it's expand uh, beyond UAE, right? So if you look at um, here, right, to, to uh, you know, what, what already is a need, uh, because it comes from, from a need right, right, that we try to fulfill. Uh, when you look at the job to be done on a, on the retail side, it's really, and I, I think it's across the region, right? People, they want things to be simpler, easy, right? Uh, it shouldn't be too complicated. And this, uh, the evolution is coming with uh, people are getting used to get access to information anytime, anywhere, be able to do transaction anytime, anywhere. It should be easy to open account, etc. So this need is there. Second need is uh, across, I would say, the region. And when you look uh, around the region is people want to be recognized as well, right? They want to be the financial institution or the, to, to, to know them, to know who they are. Uh, and because it's not really fulfilled by, by the traditional players. So there is an, an, another gap here to, to be fulfilled. Another gap is uh, people want to get access to the best product. So that's where 
what Ambarin is doing, right, is exposing, right, what can be the best product across bank is very useful, as well what Mina is doing through, you know, the open banking can really help to fulfill this. And I think this is a need that, that's really happened uh, across the entire region, and there is a need, the need that we have here is also similar in other area. Also, another need, uh, if you talk about financing, you know, one of the key reasons to be a bank is to finance. Finance individuals, but also finance SME. And there is a huge need, right, for SME in UAE, and also SME we export outside the UAE to be able to be supported by, uh, by financial uh, solutions. So, Yes, it's definitely not about UAE alone, but it's uh, for the entire region and beyond. Amberine, have you, in, in the nine years that you've been operating, have you have you seen the offers and the products get better for customers? Have you seen a lot of sort of improvement in what's available to customers in the UAE, or or not? Um, yeah, look, look, I've seen. I think I think I've seen two things, right? I think that I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly <laughs> in the last nine years. And I think just to get back to what Myrna and Olivia were saying is. It's, it is never about the UAE, but that's where it, it's, it's almost a lab. The UAE, because of the different cultures, because of most people here are used to a Western way of doing things and are used to different services that they've had access to outside. When they come into the UAE, it's a great place to actually test your product and then go out of here. Having said that, the biggest challenge we've found, and we've seen this for the last nine years, is regulations. So as much as we go out there and we say the market is extremely big, the market is, is, is humongous, remember that every single country has their own jurisdiction. Every single country has their own fintech regulations. Some of them don't even have a fintech regulation. Some of them do. So they're all at different stages. But if you ask me whether the UAE is big enough to actually make a fintech company, it's not, to my point of view. Any e-com or fintech company needs scale to be able to become profitable and to become sustainable. The UAE just doesn't have the scale. We just don't have the people. So the only way for any fintech or for any other e-com company to make it is to have a regional aspect or even potentially a global aspect. I would probably still sit to regional for now. Having said that, the challenge is how easy is it to get regulatory approval in different areas? So, so I take a step back then and go, okay, well, what type of fintech are we talking about? Is this true for everything fintech that gets up? No. Fintech companies who do not need any regulatory approval will do extremely well. Fintech companies who need to, there's a concept in the UA where you borrow licenses in a certain way, right? So you've got either a bank or an insurance company or a broker, someone who's licensed at the back of the company, where this is how you do business at the beginning when things are very young, which is, by the way, most places are the same when you're starting up. But now the UAE, Bahrain, Saudi are all maturing up and coming up with the regulations to regulate those fintech companies. And I think that's where the very interesting turnaround for me is happening is do you have enough money at the back of you to make that jump from being an unregulated entity to a regulated entity? Because naturally a regulated entity needs a whole lot more capital, which is my comment on capital intensive at the beginning, right? And this is things that you normally wouldn't cater in because it just comes in whenever you least expect it. So in terms of products and services, to come back to your question, yeah, absolutely. There's been a huge range of changes from the last last eight years. I think because of aggregators and because of new fintech companies coming on board, the awareness and transparency in the market has gone to a very different level. Consumers today in the UA in the region ask questions. It's not opaque. 
um, there is a whole lot of level of transparency. And not just that, they demand a whole lot of new service, which is why I'm hoping Olivia's bank is going to come in and change things. Um, but the service that we demand from our banks and institutions is, is similar to the Google and the Emirates and the Amazons of the world, but we're not even close to being there yet. Um, so that has changed. The service, they're trying to change but they're not there yet. Again, you've got legacy systems and, and, and every fintech company that comes in that want to do something different. Remember, they still have to depend on the banks and traditional companies. So it's an interesting topic, which you can talk on, on and on about for, for a couple of hours. But I think there's, there's just a couple of items to note where, yes, it's a great place to start, but it's not enough to grow. That's, I would say, point number one. Yes, there's a lot more company the, um, products that come on board. But from a service perspective and a customizable perspective, there's quite a lot more to go. So opportunity, like Tristan says, is absolutely here. So let's move on actually to some of the challenges. That's a really good link into the into the sort of next section. Tristan, do you do you do you agree with with that sort of commentary on the on the challenges, the challenges of getting enough scale in the UAE, the challenges of getting regulation? Are those the biggest challenges facing sort of fintechs in the UAE today? Oof, gosh. Um... I'd say that ultimately, the I, I fully agree with Amberine's main point, which is, look, the, when you think about what type of fintechs, and uh, this audience particularly uh, probably looks at that, we're, we're talking about fintechs that offer services to end customers. And in, and the scale of the banking environment here, it's a, you know, there's a sizable economy, but there are about five and a half million bankable population um, at different uh, uh, rates, you know, the, you you just as a standalone market, there isn't necessarily the volume to allow a player to come in. It's a competitive market. We've had banking consolidation. There's a tendency to suggest that the market is overbanked, which makes it fascinating when you've got somebody like Olivier who's going to launch a new bank into a, a sector that's already got very high levels of competition. Uh, and, and there's also a bank in Abu Dhabi uh, that's been backed by ADQ called WIO that's also going to look to launch, right? So there's going to be a massive competition. Um, when you take that into account, I think the question is less whether you know the market can be sustainable. More, how will this play out, right? Will the challengers end up uh, being uh, catalysts of change, who a bit like a, a space rocket flame out, or will they establish a sustainable position? That's a complicated question to answer, and I think the market is going to definitely see a huge amount of change over the next two years because big investments by big players with deep pockets are taking place. Um, how those evolve and whether they are here to play five, eight years from now, I think nobody can tell. Myrna and, and Amberine, perhaps, um, both of you are women founders. Are there any special challenges of being a female founder in the region? Um, has that been additionally challenging for you, do you think, or not? Um, not really. <laughs> Not really. I'm I'm not uh, one of those female founders who are in love of taking stage and ranting and raving about uh, inequality and, and all of that. I love the fact that I'm a female. I love the fact that I'm not supposed to be doing a man's job. And um, actually, this market, the Middle East and the Arab Muslim culture in general, they do show a lot of respect and appreciation to women. 
And uh, it's been an added value and an asset being a female. I mean, before I launched 20 Galaxy, I was head of public sector for Thomson Reuters, and I used to deal a lot with regulators. And, you know, financial services is all man's, man's world. And before that, I was a financial journalist uh, reporting on, you know, billion-dollar acquisitions. And I used to enjoy the fact that I'm one female among hundreds of men out there. And um, I used to, um, you know, love the fact that people stop and listen and talk and, and, and all of that. Now, being an entrepreneur has its own challenges in general. Uh, it's not only for, I mean, it's a lonely journey. It's um, you got to compete uh, in a very vibrant uh, market, uh, a market that is unfortunately relying a lot on valuations and less on sustainability and revenue. Um, so these are common challenges that we all face as entrepreneurs. There's, there once uh, Fadi Randour, the founder of Aramex, once told me there's no glory for being an entrepreneur. And once, you know, the moment you feel the glory is when you're done with your entrepreneurial uh, journey. <laughs> you're done with that. So um, no, honestly, I mean, let's be realistic. Um, it is an added value. It's an actually it's an asset. To, to be a female entrepreneur in this part of the world. I've been enjoying it. I didn't have any trouble raising funds. I wanted to raise 2 million, I raised 2.3. I could have taken more if I wanted to. It's all, it all boils down to the team, to the story, to the vision, and to um, your ambition, what you want to do. As long as you're not self-centered and you're not looking at um, valuations and multiples before any impact on the region, you should be okay. That's, that's very good to hear. Sorry if I bursted your bubble. No, no, I, I had no bubble. I, people expect me. <laughs> Amrin, do you agree or you have uh, other views on that? I've got more, I guess, a more balanced view. I think there are situations that being a woman in the region from a cultural perspective, and, and mostly when I used to travel a lot to Saudi every single week, I think that there is obviously you know, certain things you would and certain things you wouldn't do compared to the UAE. So I think there is a balance between the two. I think as a woman, I think it, it's, you know, the, the, the let's, let's look at the positive very quickly. The positive is because there's not a lot of women, so you get a lot of attention. Um, and therefore, if you get more attention, obviously the business is getting more attention and therefore it kind of works. Yeah. Um, there are no such thing as the male entrepreneur of the year that, that just doesn't exist, but, but the female entrepreneur of the year does exist. <laughs> so, you know, in a way we're a bit more advantaged than, than the male counterparts are in a certain way on that level, the funding part, I don't believe there is an issue, but I don't think it's a region. I think there is an issue with women raising funding, but it's not particularly for the region. I think it's more around mentorship role models. It's about um, the ability to, to, to stand up for, for the story you tell and, and, um, you know, I always say there's a proverb that I absolutely love. Um, biologically or mentally, men sell dreams. They go out there and they conquer the world. Whereas when women go and raise funding, they're thinking profitability. They're, how do I not lose money? How do I not shut down the business? And how do I make sure this becomes profitable? And I think this is just male-female thing. And I think at some point with mentorship um, and role model, I've, I've, I've met a lot of women who said, you know what, I can I or can I not? I'm, I'm not sure because it's not like I've seen a lot of women do it out there and and we have to remember we are in a region where you know other regions have got 200 years ahead of us so it, it we're still young we're still growing we're still getting there so i think role models as the entrepreneurship between women anyway gets better and better i think that that will improve now the 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 
I would say the the, the challenges as, as a woman here is, you know, when I, I've been traveling to Saudi for the last eight years and the first year there were so many places I could meet male colleagues or fundraisers. There were places I wasn't allowed to go. I was stuck in my hotel room for three days in a row um, and was not even to have dinner. And whereas the male counterparts who were raising funding were going for dinners and shishas and all of that. So, you know, there is a pros and the cons. I think things have changed a lot in the last eight years in a good way. I think Saudi has opened up massively for women. I, I go there now and you don't, you don't even feel different at all, right? You, you can go for dinner, you can meet people wherever you want. So there's been a progress, um, massive progress. So I think the female challenges do vary depending on who you are, where you're from, and also at what stage of your entrepreneurship you are at. And, and honestly, which, which sector you're in as well. So I think there's more, sorry, Marina, it's just, it's just, I think there's more of a balanced view in terms of, there's a pros and the cons, like everything else. Okay. You gave us a good tip there on investing in female founders if you want to get your money back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they do like profitability. <laughs> <laughs> Olivier, can I come back to you to just sort of wrap up this section on sort of challenges, uh, sort of setting up uh, startups and, and new businesses in the UAE. Have you hit any particular problems as you've tried to set up Zand or have you seen challenges faced more widely by startups in terms of skills or regulation or data storage or you know are there any particular challenges that that businesses are having to try and overcome in the UAE things that aren't quite working as well as perhaps they could so uh, first of all I, I will uh, uh, answer you know what uh, Tristan and it's a question that everybody asks right if they are already like 52 banks in UAE why uh, is there a need for a digital bank uh, in fact, uh, what I'm saying is that while there are a lot of banks in UAE, there are not a lot of platform with a banking license. And this is how I define uh, the bank uh, we are building as a platform with a banking license. So that means that we're able to integrate and connect to ecosystem. We are built front to back digitally uh, with new technology. And we are able to combine the DNA of banking which is around uh, risk management, financial expertise, trust, compliance with regulation, and the DNA of digital, which is around uh, customer centricity. So you build a product for the customer, not for the bank. You are able to leverage better the analytics and you are able to use the latest kind of technology. So that's why we can differentiate ourselves. And I think the government of UAE understands that, you know, and you look at the UAE digital agenda, it's very ambitious, uh, as we said previously. And to be able to support the new digital player, you have a lot of new digital players. You have e-commerce, you have ride hailing, you have a, a lot of new digital company. Uh, and you have also traditional corporate who are transforming themselves and digitalizing themselves. So. If you want to be able to support these players, you need a native kind of digital bank, which is built on data, which is built on all this new technology and so on to be able to integrate and connect with them. So that's really what uh, I think why there is a need. And it has two advantages. One is you will have two digital banks. We, by the way, have exactly the same banking license as any other bank in the country because in UAE, there is no concept of digital bank. It's only you need to apply for a full bank license. And uh, at the same time, uh, we are having a, a, a traditional bank who will be obliged 
to transform themselves as well, right? If they want to keep competing and, and providing the best service. So it has an advantage uh, for the country. And obviously, obviously, the objective is also to potentially export, right? Uh, this digital bank through uh, white labeling or partnership in other, in other country in a, in a region or in Africa, for example. So to come back to the question on, uh, you ask about limitation or difficulty, I think that I was, uh, you know, I've been uh, working banking for many years and I launched a bank in Indonesia. I launched a bank in India I launched a bank in Vietnam previously. And I was very uh, uh, surprised and, and, and pleasantly surprised by the infrastructure here in UAE. I think it's, it's very good, at least on the retail side. Uh, you know what they have been doing, uh, integrating uh, Emirates ID, where you can really uh, you are able to, to open an account uh, pretty remotely, what they are doing with uh, face recognition and so on. Also, infrastructure is really good. And and this at, compare very favorably, even with countries in Asia where I've been previously. Uh, the difficulty is more on a SME, on a, on a corporate side, because of the nature of the country. You have like, I don't know how many, we say we have 53 banks, but they are like... Uh, over 50 uh, license or registrar uh, of company in the country. So if you want to onboard uh, SME digitally, you need to be able to connect to all these registered. So there is some uh, limitation in this area, but uh, overall, I would say it's, it's pretty positive. I felt as well that the regulator in the country has been very supportive. And what uh, works well is that when we are able to explain to them uh, what we want to do, but by explaining that we have identified what is the risk on what we want to do when we do it digitally, how we mitigate the risk, uh, that's very important, uh, which uh, control we have in place to make sure the risk is not there anymore, and what is potentially the residual risk uh, we are ready to, 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 to accept, right? So that's, uh, uh, we felt a very good uh, interaction as well on, the, on that side. Fantastic. Very, very interesting comparison with, with other markets. Okay, we're just going to take a quick pause here and back very shortly. Decoding is back. Our hit video series returns, and this time we're getting under the skin of banks. Over the course of 11 episodes, we're joined by key industry experts to ask, what are the challenges facing traditional banks in 2022? From payment rails to lending, we lay out the landscape before looking at the problems banks are facing today and what they can do about them. Watch now on the 11FS YouTube channel or at 11FS.com forward slash decoding. Enjoy. So let's move on from the present day and look at what the future may hold for fintech in the UAE. Tristan, I'd like to come over to you. We've seen a little bit of consolidation happening in the UAE. We've seen a lot of consolidation of fintechs happening in other markets, you know, notably in the States and so on. Do you think we'll start to see that happening in the UAE? Do you think we're going to see more fintechs launching or do you think we're going to start seeing a few sort of regional champions emerge as as firms start to sort of try and take a grip on multiple markets? I would assume that we're still in a period of blossoming and expansion. You know, we, as you're well aware, 
globally, uh, fintech is becoming more and more attractive. And we hear stories uh, every week about uh, new funding rounds and launches, etc., which I think is giving investors uh, here more appetite to take risk. And I'm quite skeptical about many of the business models that uh, some of the new fintechs are um, pursuing, uh, but investors are willing to give them their backing. So I would say that we need to see some sort of correction globally before there's a slowdown in the expansion of fintech and that the UAE is probably at a point in time where there's 18 to 24 months of uh, quite aggressive new entrance expansion before I would start to anticipate consolidation. Okay. What, what do you see as some of the areas where there's room for more disruption and more development? I mean, one, one area is uh, one that strikes me is financial inclusion. You know, the UAE has got quite good financial inclusion compared with many other markets in the region. I think it's got the best in the region, but there's still a lot of unbanked people in the UAE. Olivier, is, part, is that part of your plans at Zand um, to, to, to reach out to some of those un unbanked customers? Or do you think other players will come in and help with that? No, de definitely as a, as a digital bank, we'll have uh, obviously uh, unbanked uh, customers, and there are quite a few uh, in UAE. You know, say a lot of uh, foreign workers, etc. Traditionally, didn't get a bank account. Uh, they usually have a card where their salary is uh, created on, and then they go to an ATM, they withdraw the cash, and then they go to an exchange house and send the money to their country. So they didn't have a bank account because previously for bank it was too expensive, right? To to afford uh, to uh, provide bank account for them. And for us, as we are, uh, you know, fully digital and uh, with no branch, etc., and uh, our latest technology, the cost of adding uh, more customers is, uh, is is very limited. You don't have really uh, an, an incremental cost on it. So we will have no limitation on onboarding. So obviously, we will have. Uh, we hope that we will be able to onboard quite a few people who are unbanked right now in the UAE. That will be great to see. Amberine, how about you? Where would you like to see more disruption or development in the market? From my point of view, I just wanted to connect quickly on the inclusion side. I think the inclusion, as you said, the UAE is actually extremely strong in it. But I think the one area of what we kind of put everything under financial inclusion is the education and the awareness. Um, we recently launched a corporate financial services program, corporate financial education program for corporates um, recently last year. And the reason we did that was because we had CEOs calling us post-COVID saying, listen, we've dropped salaries by 25% and we can see panic. People don't know what to do. They don't know how to handle their money. They don't, they're suddenly in massive amount of debt. And that, that, that is just not right. And as we all know, this number one stress at work and lack of productivity is enormous. When you're financially stressed, you go to work, you actually can't work anymore. So they've lost people, they've lost productivity. People started swapping for a thousand, two thousand euros worth of, of change. So I think... From a financial inclusion, the, the one point I wanted to make, I think there is a lot more work from a financial education perspective. So you may be included in the financial system, but you are not included in the people, the group of people who are aware what they're signing, what they're taking. And more specifically is how do you manage your funds here? Remember, there's no pension fund in the UAE. So you don't work and put something aside for your pensions. If you spend it all, you spend it all. Nobody's going to take care of you at some point. So I think that's a big wake-up call we, we, we're trying to make here anyways, is to understand. And the laws and regulations are, are different everywhere else. So 
Um, when I, when it comes to to um, where I see disruption, listen, I, I think um, any of the fintech companies where you need a whole regulatory approval, I think that will take a long time to get disrupted. Uh, the regulatory approval itself takes around a year or 12 months. I'm thinking, Olivia, I'm sure you've, you've gone through it to even get the regulatory approval. So it's hard for a fintech company to come in and disrupt things in the next year. You don't even know what's happening to you as well. You kind of plan for the next six months um, at this stage. So I think it will be in areas. Um, the binary pay data has already been disrupted. And I think now the binary pay data will get disrupted, which is eight now pay later. I mean, there's all kinds of different variables and variants almost like the COVID variants are coming out with, with the buy now, pay later. Um, but I do agree. I think SME financing is one of the big pots that is utterly and highly untapped. There is a reason for it, again, regulatory issues. But if there's anybody who can tap into that market, it's absolutely massive. Personal finance management is another area that has not been touched, has not been done. That is also extremely massive, just especially post-COVID. You've seen a bit of a change in people's uh, perception about how to handle their money. And Myrna, last question to you. Where would you like to see developments in fintech in the UAE over the next few years? Well, let me first answer a question about open banking, because that's a major development that's going to create platform banking and lifestyle banking. So um, in in principle, just, just to explain what is open banking, It's the practice of allowing a third party service provider to access your personal financial data of the consumer. And of course, um, offering certain services like personal financial management, like credit scoring, like, um, you know, payments, peer-to-peer payments. So all of these are enabled through open banking. Now, the... um, For the market to practice open banking, you need technology on the side of the bank. So you need the bank to be able to expose certain data elements through, um, you know, in real time using some codes. We know them as APIs or application programming interfaces. And of course, you need the regulations uh, that will set the framework for both sides to collaborate, which is, you know, the, the bank and and the fintech, and then there's there's a consumer who's benefiting from all of that. The UAE is behind on this, okay? We don't need to sugarcoat it. It's clear the UAE, in terms of regulations, is behind. Um, number one, open banking cannot happen unless the central bank takes the leadership in this. So no free zone, despite the, all the efforts put by the DIFC and the ADGM, the FSA and FSRA, those efforts will not actually make any difference unless the central bank uh, takes the leadership and making, um, putting together the framework. And obviously, I mean, you got to follow the international standards of UK or PSD2 before you localize them to the market needs, but you have to start somewhere. So until we see the central bank putting the framework together and rolling out uh, open banking across the region, it will always be, you know, talking. Now, Bahrain obviously is is the is leading the space, Saudi after and uh, UAE. But uh, let me just tell you something about the UAE. The central bank is actually putting together framework for open finance, which is one step ahead of open banking. So basically, you will see a bank like Zant collaborating, for example, with a platform like FinTech Galaxy, connecting all the fintechs to the bank so that the bank can actually provide banking services to the consumer um, in a different format through the uh, third-party providers or the um, basically the fintechs out there. So it's going to be interesting beyond banking. 
across the financial services as a whole. Well, I love ending a show on a, on a call to action, a very clear call to the regulators, but open finance is indeed the, the way to move, move beyond open banking. So unfortunately, that's all that we have time for in today's episode. Thank you all so much uh, for joining me. It's been fantastic having you. Where can people find out more about you and your companies? Uh, let's start with uh, you, Amberine, please. Uh, sure. It's um, We've got two websites. One, which is our core comparison website, which is sukalmal.com, S-O-U-Q-A-L-M-A-L.com. And we've launched our corporate financial education program, which is moneydoctor.ae. So it's money for money and doctor together, uh, .ae. Otherwise, I'm available on LinkedIn, on email, um, very accessible. And Myrna, how about you? You can go to uh, fintech-galaxy.com. You can even access our digital sandbox there with 400 APIs. You can just go play around with the APIs, prototype, test, connect to the other banks, and even participate in innovation challenges and hackathons. You can find me on LinkedIn. And uh, yeah, good luck. Thank you. And Olivier, where can people find out more about you and Zand? So they can find uh, our website, zand.ae. So it's going to be, uh, right now is a waiting kind of uh, page, but uh, very soon, I think next week, it's going to be fully populated. We are we are planning to do big announcement tomorrow, in fact, about our shareholder. Uh, there is a LinkedIn Zend uh, as well, Z-A-N-D. And they can find me, Olivier Crespin, on LinkedIn. And I reply every message I have in LinkedIn. Right. So since I said I will reply, I've been replaying all of them. So it's a, it's a lot of work, but I, I make sure every message is answered. Excellent. And Tristan, how about you? Uh, I'm impressed by Olivier replying to every message. That's an amazing uh, talent. So uh, predominantly uh, either through 11FS or also on LinkedIn. Um, that's the way to find me. And you can find me in the same way on 11FS.com or on LinkedIn. So thank you all very much for listening. Uh, If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast. Please do leave a review and help us understand how to make it even better. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email us at podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you very much indeed and goodbye. Goodbye.